0: You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark.
1: If you forget the colours, the crests, the vast majority of the value is very, very similar. So the clubs have to work really hard to come up with ideas, ways of executing, with offers that will make them different from the neighbour. There is nothing that is more telling in how professional these people are than how detached from emotions they are when it comes to sponsorships. So a good CEO, it will make you work really hard to explain why something is worth that investment. When you look at what the NFL does in the United States, and you compare that with any football competition in Europe, it is shocking the kind of access that the NFL gives to sponsors compared to football.
0: Richard Clark here, Sports Content Strategy. My guest this time is Ricardo Fort. He is a man with a hell of a background in sports sponsorship, worked for Coca-Cola... And Kellogg's and Visa. And these are brands that have a huge history, really, in sports sponsorship. And this is pretty much a 101 with Ricardo, who's now running his own company. And just want to dig down on the content side of sports sponsorship, where it fits in, how it can work together, really, because often the content creators see brand association as a negative and i think as we roll forward we need to move that view anyway as i said my name is richard clark i'm a consultant in sports digital and content and other things i'm a terrible guitarist by the way even though that wasn't my worst start i have to admit and um you can contact me through twitter and all the other social media platforms Um, i'm mr richard clark on everything basically What else can I say? Oh, yeah. Sports Tech Match. They are our partner for this podcast. Um, There'll be an advert in the middle of the podcast and also details on the show notes as well. So, yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk sports sponsorship where content fits in uh, with one of the leading experts, really. This guy.
1: Well, my name is Ricardo Fort and I am the uh, founder, owner, sole employee of the Sport by Fort Consulting, which is a firm that I created a year ago uh, after working for big sponsors, leading global sponsorship teams for a few companies. Um, I created my own company to help other brands, rights holders to do what I was doing basically for just a, a couple of companies. So, I I work with sponsors, I work with rights holders, with athletes, investors, to help them think about what to do in sports, do better things in sports.
0: Thanks for speaking to me, Ricardo. Um, A quote from your blog. I like this. One of the main roles of sponsorship is the transfer of positive brand equity from the rights holder to the sponsor. It works a bit like being friends with the coolest boy or girl in school. Is it as simple as that? Is it as honestly as simple as that? You just want to walk with the, walk with the cool kids.
1: Well, that's, uh, that's part of the truth, but not the entire truth. You know, of course, the idea of, of uh, creating uh, perceived value for brands and uh, creating value that eventually translates into consumption, into more uh, deals, uh, new contracts, all of that is part of why brands sponsor in, in recent years, because of all the information that we have available. Now there are other objectives. There are other reasons why people do sponsorships um, from relationships to access to groups or people or countries to telling sustainability stories. So this, the sponsorship world has become a lot more sophisticated uh, with a lot more offerings for brands and a lot more possibilities for everybody that works in this industry.
0: But doesn't, in the end, come to come down to, they wanna sell more stuff, right? They wanna sell more of their product. Isn't, isn't that ultimately the bottom line? Yes, you can get their uh, different routes, but there has to be a positive financial return, right? Surely. Most
1: of the time, yes. So I'll tell you that the vast majority, yes. Uh, there are a lot of sponsorships that people are signing today for um, for reputation purposes. So we, we, if you think about all the money that has been poured into uh, women's football, for example, which is as of today, I think most investments in women's football are not paying back now. They are building reputation. They are building better brands. Eventually, they will do that and pay back. Um when you think about investments uh, in sports because of sustainability, there is a reputation a- angle in that too. So maybe your company or brand is not perceived as someone that cares about the environment. So you spend millions of dollars, millions of pounds in, in a sponsorship uh, to make people think differently about you that may never have a financial return in the short term. So these are these are things that are also happening but i'll i'll say that most brands um service or or product they are they're sponsored because they want to sell more stuff
0: uh have sign more deals and increase their revenues yeah i think in the end you could probably argue that those other things lead to more financial gain in the end it just takes longer to get there
1: yeah fair enough i think i think this is this is one of the one of the biggest challenges intuitively
0: no, I I agree with you. All these
1: things they should translate into better business eventually. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that the companies, most companies have today, that the ones that are doing this kind of investments, um, is how how do you, uh, you know, understand attribution? So you're doing all of this for this more difficult to measure reasons, and how that impacts. So. Another, another area of, uh, of work for you know, people in sponsorships is you know, how to create these models that answer these questions, you know? questions that the CEOs are asking. Yeah, you're doing all of this. How much more
0: are we selling? So. Very short question, Well, I bet it's a really wide answer. What do brands want from sport? The
1: brands wants to be, uh, want to be relevant. Most brands are irrelevant. In the lives of most people and they are looking for ways to be a little bit less irrelevant a little bit more relevant and very few things in life matter as much as
0: sport for most people i don't care what pen i use or really what car i drive most of the time but I will never support another football club apart from Arsenal. Basically, that's it, and it doesn't matter what they do. So you've got that loyalty, that affi- uh, that affiliation, uh, and that care, that that ability to move move the emotions, isn't it? You know, we, we're mm. not our emotions aren't moved aren't moved by by, by brands, and and that's what I was going I was going to say because um, we're going to talk about metrics, but how much of brand decisions to go with a particular club or federation or a tournament or whatever, how much are they emotional? Because there, there's numbers to think about, but surely there's, there's so much emotion wrapped up in this. Are they emotional it, decisions? Uh, I mean, if you're dealing
1: with sports, there are always emotions in, in you know, any relationships, any contract. Uh, now, whether or not the decision-making process is emotional... That would depend on the quality of the people that are involved. Most people in sophisticated companies that sponsors have a tradition to sponsor, they will try to take emotion out of the equation to make you know, business sensible decisions. And uh, it doesn't really matter if I support club A or B, if I'm a fan of sport A or B, uh, they would do what's what's right and what's capable of delivering most results. So I have worked with a lot of different bosses, a lot of different management CEOs, CFOs, and you can tell, I mean, there is nothing that is more telling in in how professional these people are than how detached from emotions they are when it comes to sponsorships. So a good CEO, it, it will make you work really hard to explain why something is worth that investment. Uh, a bad manager, a bad CEO would sign a contract of the sport he or she likes the most. So and you know there's a lot of people in between, but I have worked with all the extremes and you know' it's, it's a lot more rewarding when they are thinking the same way that you are thinking. This is right, this is not right. And sometimes you have to make decision uh, and you sign contracts that you don't think are right, are perfect, and you have to make them better. So, I mean, that's also part of
0: the part of the job. You work for Coke for Coca-Cola, I should say, for a very long time. What's the best? The, the, the sponsorship deal of which you're most proud, shall I say, while you were with Coca-Cola?
1: Well, when you work for a company like, like Coca-Cola that has been involved with sponsorships for so long, there is never a sponsorship that anyone at any point in time is fully responsible for. Even, you know, I was, I was responsible for the global sponsorship team. I was involved with pretty much everything that Coke was doing. Um, But I, I was carrying a torch that my predecessors started to kick, not maybe some of them lit some torches I was carrying. And I I hand over to some other people that replaced me. Um, There are some projects that I'm, um, I have always been, Passionate uh, for, I mean, the the FIFA, the FIFA World Cup on its own, it's a it's a beast. There's so many things that Coca-Cola does to promote the event and promote the brands in the context of the event. But back in 2005, I I was the global football director, so my job was 100 percent football for Coca-Cola, and I I created a an event called the um, the the FIFA the Coca-Cola FIFA World Cup Trophy Tour which is an event that has happened ever since in every FIFA World Cup since 2006. And it's a, you know, it's a great event. And the reason I like this event so much is uh, first of all, it is uh, unique. Uh, It's exclusive to Coke. No, no other brand can do it the way Coke does. It is global. It travels the world every four years and visits dozens of countries, 50, 60, 70 countries. Uh, It is personal because it, it engages with people one on one, and every person for you know three months, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of fans take photos with the real trophy, the real FIFA trophy. But it also helps the company to do other things that most sponsorships cannot do. So, it helps the company to engage with NGOs, it helps the companies to engage with the government, it helps the companies engage with media, with the employees. So, the number of of touch points that the event created over the years, allow the company to uh, find solutions to a lot of business challenges that it has every day. So the president of a country may not be interested to meet with the president of Coca-Cola in that country, but when the trophy comes and Coca-Cola offers to the government to take the the trophy to the palace, to the official residency of the prime minister or the king, they open the doors and that creates engagement. So there is a lot of benefit. So I like this event in particular, and this is one of my favorites because it's so broad. You know, it, it has been done consistently for so many years. Um, and it's part of the, of the FIFA sponsorship.
0: So was that an easy sell then? Was that an easy... easy no, it was, because-
1: it was very hard. The first one that we executed in 2006, I remember I was calling country managers. So I called a guy in... Israel, or I call the guy in the Philippines and I say, Hey, we have this event that we are creating. We're going to bring the, the real FIFA trophy to you know, Thailand. We're going to Bangkok. We're going to do this. This is what we think about. You have to pay me, I don't know, $100,000 because the budgets were all decentralized. And a lot of countries said, Oh, this is a stupid idea. So we're not going to do it. We're not going to pay. So the, the event almost never happened because lack of funding. Then, when you got a proof point, the first year was great. The, the second tour, four years later, there were countries, you know, country managers lining up for slots to to be on the tour, and that has been the same. But I think that that's the challenge, you know, when you when you work in a you know as a sponsorship team, and you imagine something, you know, the ideas are great, but you know until people see it in, in real life, it's hard to convince people that. It's the right thing to do the right investment to do and there's always the you know the push and pull of local budgets global budgets, so but it, it i don't think there's any event that have ever done any sponsorship that has been easy um, so
0: you partly answered this question i think with that with that trophy tour answer but i was going to talk about the measurable and the non-measurable factors you consider when you look back on the success of a, of, a, of, a, of a sponsorship deal. So you talked about the relationships that that's, that trophy tour gave you. That's one of those non, well, not overtly measurable, but just widen it out. What's non-measurable that's an important factor? So um,
1: all the things that are not Easily, I think everything is measurable. Yeah, okay. there are Some things which are harder to measure. So relationships are very hard to measure. Yeah, but they are not impossible to measure. So, you know, it, the access, the access to the prime minister of a country to have a five-minute conversation may lead to something that is measurable over time. So you just you just need to be disciplined to track over the years all this uh, feels like intangible benefits uh, that you find a benefit and you'll be able to quantify them. So in general, I think sustainability, uh, everything that is not directly related to the business of the company. So uh, what's, what's the ROI of a company being seen as a better employee, as a better employer? Um, what is the cost of a company being seen as a company that supports uh, uh, women or... A company that supports minorities in general. So, I mean, there's a there's a lot of value that can be translated. So I, I have done you know works and 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 developed models where you can say, um, if you engage, if you increase the engagement level of the employees by one percent, two percent, that translates into X you no know, fewer employees leaving the company. Uh, that's the cost of hiring. And then you can go back and say, Well, okay, that that campaign had an impact with employees that saved the company. You know, $10 million worth of headhunting, search, training, all of that. So there's a lot of people that are, there are things which are are harder to to measure. Um, So having said that, because they are so hard to measure, a lot of companies assume they're not measurable and they just forget it. Uh, And you have to be, I think, equally disciplined with them, with these kind of things and the ones that are uh,
0: uh, apparently easier to, to measure. Let's talk about the measurable stuff, Mm -hmm. because there's KPIs over all of this. But what are the important KPIs? What are the K KPIs, the key, key performance indicators, the most important ones? And what metrics are kind of a bit overrated?
1: Oh, yeah, there are so many. Uh, So every time that I had a conversation with the the CMO of the company or the CEO of the company or the CFO of the companies, they couldn't care less about the digital engagement, the impact in awareness, the you know, there are a few vanity metrics that companies love to talk about. So every Olympic Games, every FIFA World Cup, every euro, you have all these rankings. of uh, these are the brands that are now most remembered by this. Is an irrelevant measure. It's a vanity measure that I can go to the my fellow friends, the sponsors and say how oh, my brand was you know more uh, 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 remembered uh, uh, viewed than yours. but that, that's irrelevant. So what, what what the management of the companies are looking for is what's the impact of, of everything that you've done? I know that you're very smart, you have done a lot of great things, great creative. How much more we sold because of all the things that you do? And yeah, you can later tell me, all the great things you've done, but translate that into, into, uh, uh, volume revenues, profit, preferably by country, by brand, all of that. So this is what they care. So for me, the, the indicators that I'm always looking at are the business indicators, things that are comparable to other activities that the company is doing every day. So, When I was working for Coca-Cola, I was looking for, so the impact of a FIFA World Cup, Olympic Games, or any other thing, how that compares with when Coca-Cola does Christmas or launches a new campaign or launches a new variant of a product. So then when you put it on the scale, you say, okay, so as, as as a senior leadership of the company, I can launch a new brand, I can launch a new package, I can invest in a new campaign or I can do a sponsorship. So the portfolio of options just in marketing is very broad. And we have to be to justify to recommend an investment. You have to say, when you do a sponsorship, you're gonna get better results than anything else that you do. And, and usually that's the case. That's why the companies are continue to invest, at least the ones that I worked
0: for. How much due diligence do you do on those measurements? Because your sponsorship uh, well there's correlation and causality isn't there you know it, sales might go up for a different reason you you don't know you can't be 100% sure and also is it in your interests to reflect it as causality rather than correlation and you could be wrong so how how are you sure about your numbers i suppose that's what i'm saying
1: yeah so i I was, uh, I was lucky enough to work for companies that are, have a long history of sponsoring and have a lot of data. So Visa and Coca-Cola, they are, they are crazy for measuring everything. So uh, I'll, I'll give you the, 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 the latest example, which is uh, with Coca-Cola. So we developed models that looked back to you know, many FIFA World Cups in many olympic games and we did that on a by country uh, basis so the number of data points that you have with that sponsoring for 40 50 years you know with 200 countries promoting it so you have so many data points that all the other variables they kind of are not very important to the conclusions because you know there there are just too many data points so looking at all the things that happen we were able to, to say when you do a regular campaign for anything else, that it's not FIFA, for example, uh, this is the kind of results that you get in, in markets. So sometimes you're doing, you are know, you're, you're growing and you do something and you accelerate the growth. Sometimes you keep the same go- growth pattern. Sometimes you are declining and you revert the, the trend. Or you, uh, reduce the, re- you reduce the you reduce the the loss trend. So there are different impacts that you can have. And then you compare this with the same information when you promote a FIFA World Cup or Olympic Games. And then you compare what one did to the business and what the other did to the business. So by doing this, you can be very certain that, you know, on a by-country basis. When you promote the FIFA World Cup, you get a certain result that is better than when you don't. When you do Olympic Games, you do better than when you don't. And you can say with this specific target group, so let's say if the company is interested in talking to young people, um, then I, I was I have a, a high confidence to say if you do A, B, and C with the Olympic Games, you are going to grow faster and this is how much money how, much, um, um, how many more bottles you're going to sell, how, 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 uh, how much more in incremental revenues you're going to have. And you can go all the way to the point to say, this is how much uh, in incremental profits you're going to have. So there, there is a lot of people, and we worked on this model for you know, three years. We got external agencies helping us, a lot of you know, data scientists doing this work. But at the end of the day, the model was so... Uh, so you know strong so you know, so good that gave confidence to senior management to say okay so everybody should do these three things because we know given the history that uh, this is how you're going to maximize the result So it, it can be it can be very precise to the point of you know I had conversation let's say I went to you no know, certain country and told the country manager you have to you have to promote the Olympic Games and you have to do a, B and C right and if you do these three things i guarantee with 90% certainty that you are going to you are going to grow and and most countries did and most countries got the result but it's it's not easy to get to this point one so coca cola gave me the chance to do the, to develop the model because they believed that there was a necessary information they had the resources they had the data they had so what i did at coke with that is not um, I would say it's not uh, uh, replicable in every company, every brand, every campaign, every sponsorship. Um, it worked for that situation. So if you're, if you're telling me, no, I, I sponsor uh, Arsenal for six months, what's the ROI? No, it's possible, but it's a, you have to rethink how you, how you get to the numbers.
0: The digital transformation of the sports industry continues to accelerate. We've seen technology play a huge role both on and off the field to drive new business models and help us reimagine how sport is played and officiated. As the number of technology vendors in the market increases exponentially, Sports Tech Match saves rights owners time wasted speaking to the wrong vendors. The platform enables federations, leagues, clubs and other sports organisations to quickly and confidently identify and connect with the right solutions. Sports organisations at all levels can use Sportstechmatch's unique and anonymous request for information service to create and submit their requirements to a growing community of trusted vendors. Go to sportstechmatch.com for more. Of course, with COAT you're sponsoring World Cups and Olympics how different is that to sponsoring a team because a team's value is based on well, it's partially based on their success, right? Cause that's going to, um, affect their, their visibility, how cool they're, they are at school to use the analogy we used at, at, at the start, but so how's it different and, and how much more, um, uh, value can you extract from an Olympic Games or World Cup because you know there's going to be a hundred meters champion and you're not you're aligning to the event not the individual club yeah you're right one of the challenges of, of relationship with
1: teams now clubs is the um, the the reliance or the dependency on short-term performance you know, on the field I I think that this is a a risk that only short-term sponsors face. If you sign, I mean, if you sign a contract, I mean, if you sign a contract with a club and you do it for, you know, a club that has a decent performance, if you if you sign with them for you know, three four years, chances are, you know, you may have an off year, but you're going to have most of the times you can you can say, well, this team is going to be in the top ten and top five in the next, you know, three four years. Uh, so unless if you're very unlucky you you can say you can you, you 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 come to the relationship knowing more or less where where they sit on the on the on, on the packing order um, then there are different things even for, you mean know, for for different brands there are different things you can ask to get shorter term uh, results in an easier way so let's say if you're a payments company a lot of a lot of the benefits that you have is you no know, if you if you digitize or if you uh, make all the transactions electronic in the certain venue, that's a big deal, not only for the volume of the transactions, not so much, but for showcasing your technology. So, you know, if you go to the Emirates, you have, you know, the best shopping commerce experience that anyone can have in any stadium, that says a lot about the payments uh, uh, partner. And that's, that becomes a showcase where they can you know. So there's a, a beverage companies, of course, Having the product available you know, for the fans, uh, it's a it's a it's a big deal. But today there are so many contracts that are signed because of of access to content. For example, that if the club in this case has the capabilities of developing content for the the partners, then it's a it's a lot of value. Even if they're not doing great, you still have consumption of the content. You still have the fan base. You still have, and there are things you can do with access to content. So I guess. It, it, there are things you can do to reduce the risk of a sponsorship, to remove the performance to the extent that is possible from this equation uh, and still have a great partnership uh, with clubs of you know, at any level.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because during my time at Arsenal, obviously I was in charge of social media, well, all editorial, but when Arsenal went on to social media, the pull was create the big audience and the... Uh, partners would want to post their content within our feed, which is not something we wanted because it wasn't content that the fans wanted and it would affect our, our visibility. It would hit the algorithm, blah, blah, blah. And it moved to the case of, okay, well, that the brands need to, to create better content. They would do that by having access to our players on a sort of Thursday morning, a club day thing, and players would be sliced off in 15-minute chunks or 30-minute chunks for them to make their own content with, which was useful for us because it meant that we weren't having to put an advert up for a, a bank which wasn't particularly relevant to our fans. Um, is thats that, is that the sort of trend you're talking about there it's moved to to be more clever content rather than basic adverts basic badging basic uh alignment with the club it needs to be a little bit more intuitive yeah i
1: think you're right this is the kind of thing that um that can benefit a lot the sponsors um if the if the club is capable you know has the resources and you know to 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 set it up as you you know as you did that that's very beneficial because you know the brands don't want to have you know bad content it looks bad for them uh certainly looks bad for the club um but a lot of marketers they just don't know how to do it i mean it's it's so hard to be authentic when you talk about sports uh because fans don't care about they don't want to see noise they want they don't hear the noise of sponsors they want to no, just focus on, on on the club or the players. So if clubs that can help sponsors be more authentic, do a better job, regardless of where the post is, is happening, if it's in the club feed or from the brand feed, if it's not on YouTube or Google, whatever it is, you know, I think everybody wins and the, and the, and the club is playing a, a better role as a, as a partner to the brands than, than the others that are not capable of doing this.
0: Does the, I mean, this is called sports content strategy. So let's Mm -hmm. dig down a little bit into the, into the content side Mm -hmm. of it. Um, Does a club that has innovative content that projects a different image or a a unique image about itself via its content. Is that cash in the bank for the club? Because they're going to get a better class of sponsor or more money out of their sponsor for that reason. Uh, I think that the, They are increasing their
1: their chances to to be attractive to, you know, to, to to better, more richer brands. I think it's it's necessary to do it in because that the market is so competitive. Uh, I, I recently, for a project that I'm doing for one of my clients, I spoke with you know, several clubs uh, from the Premier League and you know, it's, it's hard to differentiate. I mean, if you, if you forget the colors, if you forget, uh, forget the, the, the crests for a little bit, the offers are, the vast majority of the value is very, very similar. So the clubs have to work really hard to, to come up with ideas, with ways of executing, with offers that will make them different from, you know, the neighbor. And, and it's not easy. Uh, so clubs benefit of waves of different industries that come and, and somehow hide these needs of, of creating differentiation. So, you know, betting companies come and they bring a lot of money. So it's easy not to pay, to work harder to to, to make a more distinctive offer. And then you come there uh, after the betting wave is, you know, is is going away comes the fan token wave and then comes the and you know we had the airline wave so new industries come and go and it's easy to for for the commercial teams of the clubs to you know just to not to stress too much about it but eventually you know most categories will be in and out and and you and you you have to differentiate yourself. Uh, not only by the performance on the pitch, but also uh, by your, you know, how creative your offers are. And I, I think this is there's a big opportunity for clubs to, you know, to think about. Uh, and I'll, I know, and that, that's valid for a club. That's valid for a league. A lot of the rights that FIFA offers today are rights that Coca-Cola created. Many of them. Coca-Cola is a marketing company. FIFA isn't. So Coca-Cola, we will come to FIFA and say, hey. Um, can we put a, a boy or a girl carrying the coin for the referee to, you know, to the coin toss before? The, well, no, no, how are we going to do a kid on the field? And Okay, let's do it. And then you do it once. Everybody likes it. And then it becomes, uh, can we put six kids carrying a flag of the company on the pitch? Oh, that's super complicated. We don't have a place for the kids to be before the match. Okay, we do it. And then it becomes a standard. Uh, and over time, it, I'm not saying Coke is the only one that has done this, but a lot of the things comes from the come from the sponsors because the clubs, I mean, they are compared to the sponsors, they are usually understaffed. They are under a short-term pressure from you know, revenues and the commercial side, which is huge. So it's hard to dedicate resources just to be creative. So um, if the clubs are not capable of doing this, they have to be open- for this conversation so that, uh, and and just try to be uh, uh, open for implementation, you know, and just, I'm sorry to extend this too much, but when you look at what the NFL does in the United States and you compare that with any football competition in Europe, it is shocking the kind of access that the NFL gives to sponsors compared to football. I mean, working for Visa, Visa is one of the longest sponsors of the NFL. At the Super Bowl, we were bringing so many people to the field of play before the game starts. I mean, the access was so, I mean, so the NFL is great because the NFL has this mentality of, we are a commercial organization that is based in sports. So they their filter to make decisions is, is this commercially beneficial for the organization? Yes. So let's find a way of doing this. In football, with rare exceptions, the sponsors are a, an annoyance, a distraction. So why am I going to open the gates for the sponsors to bring people here? I mean, we have a match to run. So, And I guess that's a big distinction that uh, makes uh, harder for some brands to be involved with,
0: with football than it should be. Is that in part because NFL, well, A, it's American, so it's a different... ethos in terms of sales but is it because NFL developed or had its growth spurt during a time of television football was more established before television took hold and television was the major vehicle through which um, advertising uh, gained its value and therefore you can make the rules up earlier before the sort of norms and customs were established, um, I, I, there might be other reasons.
1: I, I, I don't know if this is if this is one of them. But the NFL has been around forever. I mean, and I, I think the mentality of American sports is different than the mentality of football. Yeah,
0: yeah. And,
1: and 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 that has a lot to do, of course, with the mentality of you know how Americans see life and how you know, they see business. So in the, in the United States, every sports, no all the big leagues, they are a business anchored in sports. They're not a sport that happens to generate big revenues. When Atlanta United won the MLS you know, league a couple of years ago, um, the owner of the club gets the trophy. And that's the same for the NFL. That's the same for the NHL. A, it's not a captain. Can you imagine what would happen if the owner of a Premier League club walked into the pitch to get the trophy after the, winning the Premier League? It would be, I mean, there would be revolts in the streets because that's an a, a, a undesired involvement with the sport. Here, no. So here they do it because you no, know, that's a business. The owner of the business should have the benefit of receiving the trophy because he put his money. He... So the mentality is very different. And because the mentality is different, most of the leagues, but the NFL in particular, they are they are outstanding in how they they treat sponsors, how they create opportunities for sponsors, how they so because they they want to maximize. You know the longevity of the, the relationships, the value of the relationships, the how much they, they get for the relationships, so, and so with that uh, that le- with this kind of lenses, their decisions are very different from the decisions of this is a you know you know hundred and something years old game that has you know all this you know fewer few rules and we have to be you know, respectful of all of that. So it's very I think it's night and day. And, you know, football isn't, isn't doing things wrong because it's the biggest sport in the world. But, you know, there are a lot of things that football can learn from the American way of, of,
0: of managing sports. I completely agree. I mean, I went, when I went to work in Colorado and I'd come from Arsenal and it was a case of, well, be, be, have a handle on history, tradition, class, the way of doing things, the right way. And don't over-commercialise. And I went to America and I was a little bit more subtle than, than they would have perhaps liked because you could put badges everywhere. But what I will say on the Arsenal side, and this will apply to other Premier League clubs, that was policed by the fans to a certain extent, to a great extent. If we did the wrong thing, it would be the fans coming onto social media or the website saying this is not us this is not so it's it's not just the game it is the culture and the fans are very hot on it so there is that side of it it's not just football stuck in the mud it's the 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 fans view of the game is such and such and
1: i i agree with you i agree with you and the other thing richard is when we speak about english football and i think you're more capable than, than talking about this than I will ever be. We think about the big clubs. Now think about the Arsenal, the cities, the United, you know, Chelsea's of the world. Uh, you, didn't mention the, Tot- you didn't mention Tottenham, which is good.
0: So go on. That, that's good. I, I, I got the briefing that you sent me before this talk. <laughs> so I know that I cannot speak about Tottenham. I, I'm, um, I'm upset you even said the word. Actually, I said it, which I shouldn't have done. But anyway, I, I interrupted you. Go on.
1: <laughs> so, but, but, uh, I think that the, the the culture of football in the UK or in many places in Europe, the connection of clubs of all sizes with the community, is, is different as well than you know, here, you know franchises they move states they move to another city if things are not working out for them, I mean that's just an absurd concept in English football in you know in, in most most European countries, football. So that leads to a connection and a, uh, an attachment and maybe uh, uh, an expectation from fans to clubs in the UK or in Europe that is different from more of the commercial side here. That is more, you know, if it's making money, if the, the franchise is making more money, you know, that's, that's okay.
0: I'm not sure if you read this story. I'm sure you would have done. Um, Spotify's deal with Barcelona. The story was, the suggestion was... Spotify either wanted a reduction or weren't prepared to pay as much or the value was, went down for whatever. For, well, the, the reason was Barcelona didn't have enough data on their fans. That was what the story was. Did that story resonate with you? Is that, is that something that you see sponsors wanting more and more, that direct connection, access to the fan base that these clubs can have, which is obviously huge because they're the cool kid in school, right? Uh, I think some, some
1: sponsors, first of all, I think all sponsors will say, yes, we want more data. We want all the data you can give me. Uh, I think very few know what to do with it. And depending on the category of products or services, the data may be worthless. I, you know, for consumer goods in general, that, most of them, they have a route to market that they sell to a distributor that sells to a to a retailer that sells to a you know consumer or to a small shop that sells to the consumers. Consumer, behavior, the consumer is so far from the company that if I get all the data in the world, I don't know what to do with it. I cannot act on it. Um, for service companies, or digital companies, technology companies. That either have a B two B or B two C uh, business, you know th- that's more that's more useful. A company and I this is a you know almost irresponsible because I have no knowledge of you know what Spotify wanted, what Barcelona sold, but I'll be surprised if a company like Spotify that has so much access to data because of their core business would sign a deal. Pay more or less because of data viability. Uh, I, I think there, if that's what they wanted, I'm sure there were cheaper ways of getting access to data in other places. Um, so, But again, this is zero knowledge of the deal, irresponsibly trying to make sense of it.
0: How can you make a sponsorship scandal-proof? You can do due diligence on the brand, right? You can understand their communications team and understand how competent they are if anything should break. But uh, a scandal can undermine anything, can't it? Yeah,
1: I don't think there's such a thing as a um, crisis-proof, scandal-proof sponsorship for both sides. Um, I think that the sponsors, they do a better job. Well, most sponsors, not the good sponsors, they do a better job in trying to do their homework before signing a sponsorship. Then, the rights holders, the club, the league, uh, do. So you see a lot of sponsorship deals that's like I cannot believe the club signed it with this company that everybody knows comes from a tax haven has you know they did zero due diligence to sign this contract. And but what what sponsors would do and and that was uh, an, an, a discipline that I I try to force over the years in my, my in my work was you know getting an external uh, reputable uh, organization that would do background checks for everything. Um, when it comes to athletes uh, or footballers, we would talk to the extent it was possible uh, with you know, friends and leagues and federations and friends and family. You know, sometimes we sign you now you sign on a young athlete. Now he or she is now 16, 17. You have to talk to the family. You have to meet the parents. So you have to do you know, background checks. Uh, you're going to sign a deal with the, with the league. You have to do the background check of the league, of the CEO of the league, of the president of the league, uh, sometimes the commercial director of the league. Uh, and, and this is always open. This is all open up. I, I will go to the, to, the, to the partner and say, hey, we are interested in doing this. We, we are going to run background check on you, right? We're going to run background check on your CFO or your, and if you want to do the same on us, go for it. And I have, I have uh, canceled deals because of that. I have changed deals because of that. I have changed contracts mostly because of that. So sometimes you have to build things in your contracts that protect you against things that you have found doing a background check. Um, there, there, there was a. Oh, he's a, now he's retired, but one of the biggest athletes that we have ever seen in history. Right, uh, long association with the company. Uh, did something wrong. When we renew his contract, we said, "Okay, if you do it again, we are going to terminate your contract without you know, you know any compensation." Did it again. You know, it took one phone call to terminate a contract. In a normal day, that would have that could have cost the company a lot of money. But because we had a conversation before, with background checks and everything else, we we were able to to make the right decision for the company and terminate the contract with, without paying them. But even when you do all of that, bad things can still happen, and you you have to be uh, prepared. You have to have a structure. You have to have a process in place to handle that. So crisis management uh, teams set up, routines set up, communication uh, 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 you know, trees set up
0: uh, way ahead of time because, you no know, bad things will happen. On the other side of that, you've se- we've seen increasingly, should there be a scandal, an issue, you've seen fans contact sponsors because they know that's a- an Achilles heel for a club. They get on via Twitter, hey, blah, blah, brand do you know the club you're associated with doing this or up to whatever activity how influential is that i mean i suppose it, it all depends but that sort of fan power is that is that increasingly something that they'll listen to because the fan power then becomes a media story and it just grows and grows and grows right yeah no and and and, and brands uh, they listen you know if, if this is a, this is another
1: another contact point, another source of information. If these are things that the brands need to know, they welcome this kind of, of comments. And uh, now how much they can do to change some situations, and I, there are some that, that brands have influence, some that they don't. Um, when, you, when you start asking the question, I thought you were going to another direction, which is something that is also uh, uh, interesting, is the expectations that the world, the press, the fans, um, analysts, you know, investors in general—they have off sponsors influencing sporting decisions.
0: I was going to ask that actually about. <laughs> yeah, I was going to go to that one because you know, answer the first one, but then I'm going to ask you about you know sp- sponsorship in the European Super League. You know, w- was that an issue? But that's the fir- that's the second part. Get back to the first part, and then we'll do this. one <laughs> <part. laughs> Yeah, so uh,
1: uh, brands are paying attention. I think this is what matters. So if if uh, if fans are you know, have complaints uh, about the clubs and to sp- the, the brands will pay attention, and I think they can act to you know, to to influence. Um, but sponsors' influence, you know, particularly in football, they are some somehow limited because most clubs, most leagues. Sourced the majority of their revenues from TV, so the idea that a brand will have a big impact in a decision of a club, uh, I I I would lower the expectations because this is, with very few exceptions, I think this is unlikely to happen.
0: And in your role, you've you've worked with Visa and Kellogg's as well as as, as Coca Cola, and you've looked after. Um, uh, music sponsorships, artistic sponsorships as well, I think I'm right yes. saying. Yes. They're all passion areas in the same way that, that sport is a passion area. How much crossover is there between the passion areas or is sport kind of really on its own? Uh, absolutely not. We, as, as
1: fans, as consumers, we see everything combined. So we have, you know... Sports and entertainment, they are, for me, they are uh, manifestations of uh, culture. And you know, the, the great brands, they are capable of taking advantage of you know, uh, film, gaming, music, s- different sports, and they're able to put it all together and make sense of it and create something that people care, they want to consume, they want to see. You, know, when you when you see a production from the Red Bull Media House, it's great music, great film, great athletes. So they combine all of these things in one piece of content that has great values for fans. When I look back to some of the campaigns I've done on football, they always had an element of music. They always had an element of gaming they always had the actual sport and the athletes so how you bring it all together in a in a way that makes sense you know this is i think this is this is great i mean I, there, there was a there was a case back in 2000 and in 18. so when when fifa launched the career fifa the ea electronic arts fifa game launched their career mode where players were managing the career of uh, this this player, Alex Hunter, Uh, Coke created an an ad in the game where the brand was sponsoring the athlete in the game. And the brand, the athlete was filming a commercial, very famous commercial that Coke had in the 70s uh, in the game. So that was the story. And I had to explain this to a CMO that wasn't very fluent in gaming. So I said, well, we are sponsoring this player. Who's this player? Well, this player doesn't exist. He's a virtual player. So what does he do? So no, he plays football in the video game, but he's not real. And we are signing a contract with him in the game for him to shoot that commercial. So you know, it's a great combination of sports and gaming and, you know, and, and FIFA and all of these things, but they are not natural. You have to work twice as hard internally to make them make sense and
0: you know to convince people that that is actually a good thing to do. You mentioned gaming. Um, now, the gaming industry is bigger than the music and film industry combined, right? Um, but there's the eSports side of it. So ha- have you seen eSports go down the same path as sports? Are they on the same track? Because there's people that suggest the, the term sports within eSports is can be a little bit misleading and, and people treat them the same way when they shouldn't be treated the same way. Yeah, I mean the, the discussion of you know whether or not
1: gaming competitive gaming is a sport for me it's irrelevant. You know if you want if you want to treat like a sport, good for you. If you don't, that's good for you. It doesn't really matter. Because in, in, the, in the terms gamers don't care. In, in, in yeah. terms well, of in ter- Yeah, when it comes to sports, it's it's very it is very similar. So you're buying, you're buying association, you're buying visibility, you're buying uh, access to people. I guess the, the, the biggest, for me, the biggest challenge when it comes to sponsorship in gaming is a lack of understanding of what the brands are looking for. There is an incredible you know, FOMO of my brand has to be in gaming because everybody's in gaming. Everybody We have to do something, which honestly, I think it's silly. If you want, if you know what you want, gaming can be a great solution and can be an awful solution. It really depends. So, but most brands are not asking the, the right questions, I think. So for a brand, I'll, you know, I'll give you a concrete example of Coca-Cola, right? So uh, the, the, the playing game occasion is a very important occasion of beverage consumption. So as an occasion, also as a consumption occasion, gaming makes sense. So if you are marketing to, to gamers, you know, they are going to drink a lot of stuff, caffeinated stuff. They will drink Coca-Cola when they are playing, right? So uh, just from a, from a media standpoint, it justifies your placing ads, being integrated in gaming, etc. during this occasion, because people are watching, they're watching Twitch and they are seeing a commercial and they see the influencers drinking and, that all makes sense. So for that specific need, that solution in gaming makes sense. Now, uh, a, brand, a brand that is well-recognized, does it need to, be, to build awareness in gaming? I, I don't think so. A brand that is uh, targeted, you know, a certain demographic or a certain region, do they need to be present in games? Not necessarily. So I guess that the challenging gaming uh, sponsorships can work exactly the same way. As long as you know what you want, you, can, you, you get the rights, the, the assets that, are, that you need to, to do whatever you need for your
0: business. Last question. If you're advising a relatively new, a rookie sponsorship manager at a, at a football club, a lower league football club in England, say, rookie, just in, what are the fundamentals that they have to get right? The, the things that apply right up and down, but the basic things they have to do to get value for their team um, from sponsorship and looking on the other side of that as well, the sponsorship manager, what they're looking for for, for, from a club.
1: I think understanding,
0: uh, developing the ability to understand
1: what the business of the sponsor is looking for, even if the sponsor is not capable to be precise with that, I think is the, is the fundamental um, skill of a good rights holder. So, you know, go read the annual reports of the company. See how they speak. See what they're trying to do, the direction they're trying to take their business. See how what they are saying they need to do and the threats to our business can be uh, uh, accelerated or or mitigated by things that you can offer so um, if your club has a great fan base in south africa and the ceo of the company is saying that south africa is a strategic market for the company think about how to offer a solution for south africa uh, so if if the if, if if the brand is saying that the challenges are this kind of industries how can you mitigate the impact of that industry so understanding the uh, the, the the sponsors business is a, is a big deal it's not an easy task because you're dealing with you know 10 15 different uh, companies from different segments but i think this is important to have a a, a good relationship with the with a, with the sponsor i guess the, the other one is uh, deliver on your promise and it's super simple but if you're saying you're going to get the players there at certain time, you know, do it. Uh, if you're saying that you know the, the seats are going to be available, you know, the box will be available at that time, you know, just make it make it happen. So it, it's a uh, the ops side of the business is very, very important, and most people take it for granted. Everybody wants to think about the big contracts and the negotiation, and the strategy. But uh, the operational part of uh, of of the work of a rights holder, is you no know, can can make or break a relationship, a lasting relationship with the, um, with, with sponsors. Um, and I guess the, the last one is just uh, communication. Just you no know, be proactive. You no, know, be you know, frequently talking, reaching out, uh, engaging with, with the partners. Uh, I'll, I'll give you, you no. Know, I, I work with a lot of different rights holders in you know, endless football clubs, leagues. So I'll give you one example that, you know, I I had the chance to work. uh, I worked a lot with McLaren in the last few years. McLaren is, they have, I don't know, 40 sponsors. (laughs) Uh, The the, the kind of uh, uh, follow-up and and communication that they have, updates that they offer to their sponsors, I've never seen anything like that. Every week, no, their CEO or their you know, commercial you know, revenue officer or their uh, CMO will record messages and send it to you. They sign a new sponsor. They will inform you before they make it public, and 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 this is a habit that a sponsor can develop, and that gives a lot of comfort and 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 uh, and prepares the the, the sponsor to you know, to talk about the relationship with anyone in the company in the market because they know they feel like they know what's going on. Um, most most rights holders just you know just expect partners to find out what's going on in the press right so that that's that's not great so uh uh, communication be proactive operations be diligent and uh understanding uh do your homework to understand the partner ricardo fort thank you very much pleasure talking to you richard
0: You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go to SportsContentStrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at MrRichardClark.com.